The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, let's get into our second conversation for today. And I did speak about the unrest as we opened. We're edging towards second, the two years uh, since we saw that unrest that took place in July. And the Human Rights Commission, alongside the Mandela Foundation, has been uh, looking at various conversations um, of issues that sort of stemmed out of uh, that unrest. They've packaged it as a podcast series and basically speaking to some of the witnesses of what happened, recounting the stories. And it's important, I think, to give people a platform to talk about just the experiences and to talk about the impact of, of wide-scale violence of that nature. You know, um, eight days in July is, is what it, it has come to be called now. But it was a, a terrifying and a horrible eight days for the people that were in the center of it. Um, and, and, and I think also for, for those who, who were watching from other parts of the country because we just didn't know what the violence we were seeing would mean for the rest of the country and how quickly it would spread uh, to the rest of the country. So let me welcome onto the show Neo Mohopa. He is a narrative and leadership manager at the Nelson Mandela Foundation. Neo, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to your listeners as well. Pili Linduli is a commissioner at the Human Rights Commission. Pili good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning now at the studio and good morning to your listeners. And Thank tab- you. Sure. And Tabelo Mohabi is Secretary General of Abathali Basim John Dolo. Tabelo, good morning. Good morning, Kathy, and thank you for the opportunity. And good morning to the commissioner as well as uh, Neo. Mm. Uh, perhaps, um, Pilile, I, I want to start with you because the work that was done by the Human Rights Commission, I think, extended far beyond sort of um, this particular project that, that you have been working on alongside the Mandela Foundation. We know that the commission held hearings um, into that unrest to really try and get to the bottom of what happened. You interviewed officials, um, you know, including y- members of um, the, the the cabinet. You interviewed the president, etc. Are we any wiser? Ha- have we made any significant progress following? all of the work that sort of went into trying to understand um, that violence and understand then what and who should take accountability. Kathy, thank you once again. And uh, on behalf of the commission, we congratulate you on the expansion of your family. We are aware that you have two new twins and we want to congratulate you on that achievement. Kathy, indeed, as you stated in the introduction, as the commission, we were equally, like all South Africans, shocked and traumatized by the images and the footage that was coming out of um, all over the country, but especially KwaZulu-Natal, as well as Gauteng in the early days of July. Now, in moments of trauma, persons and communities react in different ways. Our first instinct was to create a platform for society together and to try to make sense of what it is that we were witnessing. And as you indicated, there was a sense of fear and uncertainty amongst many of us at 
at the question of how far this would go and the extent to which it would affect all of our lives as we also saw images of buildings that were burning and quite rapid uh, destruction of property and infrastructure. In, on the 23rd of July, together with the Nelson Mandela Foundation and the Center for Applied Legal Studies at the Wits University, we gathered society to a, a, a gathering that we called an MBs or a national dialogue to advance this sort of consultative approach to understanding what it is that, that we were witnessing. And at the very onset uh, of these discussions, it was quite clear that there were concerns amongst members of society of the deep socioeconomic divides that were contributing to the extent and the reach of the events of July, the weaknesses and the failures of public institutions as we saw the incapacity of police to contain the chaos that was, that was happening. But there were also resounding concerns about the state of social disharmony and lack of solidarity amongst uh, the groupings in society, as well as just questions around the national question or the national condition of South Africa's constitutional democracy. We were also quite concerned about the heightened and racialized levels of poverty that were showing themselves, especially the, the, the racialized violence that was also emanating from parts of especially KZN, but there were also, we were also seeing same trends across the, the, the country. Now we together with other stakeholders, including CALS and the Nelson Mandela Foundation, we did then um, resolve to hold a hearing, as you have indicated, at which we would call different sectors of society, including the cabinet and those responsible for the state function, but also directly affected members of society to assist us to continue this dialogue in unpacking what it is that had happened, but also most importantly, what we could do to ensure that we do not face a similar circumstance in the future. Are we any wiser? That answer, Cathy, is an answer that is still before us. The Human Rights Commission is currently at the final stages of putting together its report that comes out of this hearing. We um, had our last testimony in June of 2022. And in the last year, we have been gathering all of the evidence that has been before us to assist us to answer some of these questions, including the, whether we are any wiser and whether we are able to, as a country, given the resources that we have, avoid a situation that uh, is similar to what we saw in July 2021. Mm. Th thanks for that, uh, Pilile, who is a commissioner at uh, the Human Rights Commission. Let me come back to studio. Now, you, of course, are uh, the narrative and leadership manager at the Mandela Foundation. The issue of race um, seems to be central when we try and unpack and understand some of the violence that took place. In fact, just this morning, sort of talking about what's coming up on the show, um, some of our listeners were responding and, and going back to that question of race and talking about the fact that there are ways in which racism is experienced by black people and not only at the hands of white people. I want you to unpack that for me based on the conversations, the dialogues that you have had 
with the witnesses, with the, you know, some of those that, that survived this violence, that were caught up in the center of it, and the general sense that you get about the role of race in sparking um, the violence that we saw? Thank you for this question. I think it's an important one. Um, when we spoke to a couple of people, especially uh, residents from Phoenix and watching the news as well and different accounts that were coming out, especially from that, uh, that, that region in Phoenix, it was almost two different kinds of accounts, right? On the one hand, um, the narrative, at least as much as it's settled so far, has been that it wasn't necessarily intended to be on racial lines. But because South Africa um, is an unequal society and whose equality is also based on racial lines, it was easier, and it has been in many different instances as well, to identify black people as looters in those kinds of instances. The same thing happened, I know, from my personal experience in Fismas Fall, for instance, where private security and universities were blocking protesters. Now, how do you identify a protester? What does that mean? What does it look like? They, moreover, uh, were just barring black students. And I think that it's a, it's a reflection of the conditions of this country and the enormous kinds of trauma that we've suffered. Even in Durban, you'll remember, in 1949, there were the Durban riots. Um, this happened around the, the central business district in Durban where um, black people, African people, started ta uh, targeting um, Indian-owned enterprises, shops and otherwise. And it went on for about three days or so, from Thursday, Friday into Saturday. Many, many people lost their lives in that moment, and we still carry those wounds and those scars. And some of the people um, that, we, that we have had a, ha that we've had access to from Phoenix were referencing that moment, right? They were saying, mm -hmm. well, it happened to us back then. This is our revenge. This is our time to kind of take it back. Now, of course, these, that particular sentiment didn't come from the organizers of the, the blockades. Again, you'll remember during the unrest, um, different communities try to take control of the situation insofar as possible. And in particular in Phoenix, what they did is they created these blockades to stop and to protect the community, you know? Um, and yeah, it spills out in, in that traumatic cycle of, of identity in a way. And there's just so many of them, right? And you, you think about Collins Kaza, for instance, who was also killed, you know? And you think about where Collins Kaza was killed and the kinds of reasons that were given for his, ki for, for his killing. You'll think about even the, I don't know how to describe it, but when the military were, what's the word, um, going up and down in, in the city, and they were hitting people, hurting people, they were assaulting people for either breaking the lockdown or being suspected for looting and otherwise. But again, it was racialized there, you know? And so it's this strange and almost in, in, inexplicable matrix where blackness, poverty, suspicion kind of come together and coalesce in a way. And I think we see ourselves, you know, in that way too, you know, and I think we, we navigate it on a daily basis. It isn't only necessarily moments of extreme crisis, but we imagine different bodies meaning different things, you know. You think about the ways in which um, different bodies date at night crossing a road, for instance, and how those politics play out. And I think it's just a further common then reflection of, of that kind of deep trauma, but it's also structural, right? You know, it's not only in the what's the word now, personal uh, feelings and biases and prejudice, which is a powerful thing, but it's more than that. It's also structural in the ways that I've tried to describe as well.
so now are you saying that when speaking to residents let's say of an area like phoenix both sides of the spectrum those that may have contributed um to the violence those that uh, were taking a stand you know in terms of uh, protecting their communities blo- uh, forming these blockades that there was a sense and and because you 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 you're you're pulling on different threads here but the idea of having communities that are still very much living with trauma living with unresolved issues in and of themselves and this moment then arising as the july unrest leaving people triggered in many ways and therefore you get sort of these different reactions um that we saw some of it uh i suppose it it might be easier as a country for us to deflect back to race because that is the one unresolved issue that that we continue to live with on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. i think so and and it's complicated right in a way when a rupture like this happens um i often refer to it maybe a little bit poetically as a breathlessness of meaning because how can you understand this how do i understand what's happening to me how do i understand what is being done to me you know um and absolutely we do return back on those lines it's almost like a, a flight or flight response in a way where on what fault lines am i going to be safe and that's really where a lot of the thinking goes and without being able to kind of you know interview every single person that we interact with we fall back on race lines we fall back on gendered lines we fall back on geographic origin we fall back on on all of these mm. identitarian boxes because the narrative or the story that we've been telling ourselves is that we won't do that to each other you know so if i'm in my own group then i'm safe but those are the people they are the problem you know and it's like that for, for everybody i remember years ago there was a conversation on what is it the great debate where this question of centrality of who is in the center and so many different races were represented there and nobody felt at the center everybody was accusing no 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 the white people with the monopoly capital they're in the center of this country they have real power no 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 you guys have government we're not at the center the farm killings no 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 we've never been even mentioned colored people feeling you know enormous uh, betrayal really from the national story of their identity so i think that it's a it's a kind of flight or fight response based on the kinds of trauma we've experienced by being racialized into mm-hmm. these categories and we're trying it's a complicated thing to say but i think we're trying to create safety mm-hmm. in as much as there's huge amounts of collateral damage around that as well pilile from the perspective of the human rights commission how how did you navigate around um this this issue of race because again um people have their experiences and and you can't sort of question what one's experience is and how being in a moment has made them feel but you you also have to get to some kind of um methodology that that is going to provide clarity and and help us navigate uh through these conversations as a country including by way of of this report that the commission is working on Yes, Kathy. Thank you very much. Um I want to maybe continue on this notion of the intertwined nature of 
the relationship between geography, race, and capital and its implications for these race dynamics that we are seeing or that we saw um, as they expressed themselves in July 2021. The, the conversation predates the, the democratic era in many ways. It, it involves the ways in which the colonial and the apartheid system organized us along these geographical, racial, and, and capitalist um, communities in such ways that it became quite clear to see that capitalist exploitation depended for its survival on racial domination and a special apartheid of, of sorts. So when we then transcend that era or that legal system or framework to this post-1994 society, the conversation about these, the relationship between these three entities in particular happens, but it happens in quite an abstract manner such that the, the communities, as you see them in Phoenix, and in other areas are living amongst each other. But many of these relationships are still racialized, are still class-based. And in many ways, the geographic mix is, is based on capital, capitalism because you, you see less white Indian and colored people moving to townships as you see those in the townships, for example, moving to these other areas that were previously occupied solely by white Indian and colored people to, to a large extent. So what does it say for how we make sense of what happened in areas like Phoenix, Chatsworth, Bambai, Guamashu? And what it says about what happened before, what happened in July, and what happened after. Many people will argue, Kathy, that these communities live um, in peace, yeah, uh, with Pipile, each other. Pipile, a, Pipile, yes. uh, so, sorry to interject there. Uh, it, it was the best point that I could. I'm going to ask you to, to hold that thought for me there. I'll give you a chance to continue in a moment. We, of course, are reflecting on uh, the July unrest, talking about lessons learned uh, through the work that is being done by the Human Rights Commission uh, the, and the Nelson Mandela Foundation. We also have on the line uh, Tapelo Mohabi of Abathali Basem John Dolo. We'll hear from him also after the 10.30 news headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue our conversation on The Talking Point, and I'll also be taking some of your reflections just based on what our guests are saying this morning on 086-000-2032. That will be a little bit later on within this half hour. Of course, joining us for this conversation, Pili Lin Dooley, Commissioner at the Human Rights Commission, Neo Mokopa, Narrative and Leadership Manager at the Nelson Mandela Foundation, and Tapelo Mohabi, who is Secretary General of Abatlali Basim John Dolo. Pilile, I want to give you an opportunity to sort of complete your contribution. Uh, you, you were saying that many of us will look at what happened um, in, 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 in KZN, in particular, these areas such as your Phoenix, your Chatsworth, where we had very racialized violence taking place and think, but these are communities that live in peace alongside each other generally. So what then would have happened to spark 
this and and is it a once-off event? Yes, Kathy. Th thank you very much. And and we were speaking to that borrowing on these notion, these three notions of geography, race, and and capital, and the interrelationship between them, and the manner in which it helps us to understand what is going on. If you go to Phoenix now, life is carrying on as it did before the July unrest. But we understand now from the July unrest that overnight friends who otherwise played soccer with each other last weekend and have a machete against each other on another weekend on the basis of race. Now, what is it in our society that makes us into these beings that are so fragile? Is it us as individuals or is it the history that we carry within each other, with each other, and that we express in relations across each other, across race, geography, space, and even gender as, as Nero expressed. What we see in Phoenix is what we see in Alex. And what that says is that the people of Santon will not be for long be able to enjoy the safety and security that is guaranteed to them by the Bill of Rights until that very same safety and security is extended to the people of Alex. Similarly, what we saw in Phoenix shows that until one group of a community or a people are safe and secure in their being and in their enjoyment of the constitutional democracy, other communities and other societies are not going to permanently remain side. And that context is a very fragile context that awaits a trigger, like the trigger that you saw in July 2021, to remind us of these scars that we carry from our very recent history that so, obviously remains unresolved so, within so, and amongst all of us. So, so then, Pilile, how do we describe the moment, right, the current moment, as you, as you put it, of communities, of these very same communities, right, um, that are, are are facing sort of this fracture, this inequality, as you've described it, but today are seemingly living peacefully with each other. How how do we make sense of that? This is the question, perhaps what we call the national condition or the national question. And it is an, a question that we can pose to individuals in their interpersonal relationships in the same way that we can pose it to groups in their relationships among each other. What is it that makes one tolerate a situation of inequity or inequality for an enlonged period of time? And what are the triggers that could cause one to spur of a moment having to have lived with an unequal or unequitable situation for so long, suddenly realize that some kind of action needs to be taken. These are the same questions. And perhaps theories of social psychology can also assist us in understanding not just the individual psyche, but also the group psyche and the manner in which it reacts to its context, 
but also the manner in which then it reacts to triggers that call upon uh, the situation. That sure. All right. Thanks for that. T- Tapelo, I-, I want to bring you in here um, because you, of course, are also a contributor to this uh, conversation, to this uh, documentary uh, series that is being put together. And you would have a lot to say about the issue of geography and race, because that is really at the heart of what you as Abakhel Basim Jondolo are often working and and protesting against. Yes, uh, thank you very much, Kathy. Um, I I mean, um, mean this year we uh, commemorate uh, two years after the um, uh, riots, um, and uh, we understand that um, for some families in Bambay, areas in Inanda, to them it reminds them of their loved one that they lost during this time. Um, and, and I think uh, one of the reasons that have uh, shown us during the uh, riots were the inequality um, that uh, we have in this country that our government has failed to, have failed to redress. If you look at Bambay, Zuelicha areas, those areas are still underdeveloped as opposed to the Phoenix area. And in fact, if you go between in that area, you could see that there's a divide, even the road that goes through there. Um, it shows that the days are have and they uh, have not on the other side. And of course, what happened there was the fact uh, that um, even though it was race, but it showed that there were those who felt that they were privileged and superior to others, that they can do whatever they can on, on others because the system itself um, have allowed that to happen. So the failure by the government to actually redress the issues of the past, where the those who, uh, for to some extent, have privileges during the apartheid era, some privileges during the apartheid era, and those who did not have any, um, uh, continue to languish in poverty. Um, so um, what had happened, they had shown that those who are poor will always be subject to those who have, and and I think this Katie uh, has been shown by the, if you remember after the riots, there was this um, show us your sleep uh, um, operation by the police. And the police went into the informal settlement because they realized, and to them and to their understanding is that people who are living in informal settlement are the ones who the cause of the riots because criminals are found in the informal settlement. By purely being black, you are a criminal. By purely by living, so uh, we normally say at Namashari, when you are you, when you are uh, poor, you have a, a, a bad odor because nobody, you smell terrible. Nobody wants to, to be near you. And, and I think that's, uh, besides the fact that there were people who felt privileged because they were a certain race, um, but also government's uh, intervention into this regard to show that we must deal with the criminals in the informal settlements because they are the ones who are behind this. Um, it also so, sort of like justify uh, those who are who have privilege, who are from other races, to say yes, of course, criminals are found in in Anda, and they cannot be found in the Phoenix. Tapelo, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about how, for me, it's a reflection perhaps on on our thinking as as a society more broadly, uh, and and not necessarily just confined to race. That when it comes down to the wire, um, there are 
views and, and biases and prejudices that we hold that enable that when, you know, it comes it comes down to the wire in moments like that, we of course default to those bias prejudicial uh, perceptions that we that 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 we inhibit in in and of ourselves. Um, yes, uh, Katie, I, um, and and I think um, um, so. Some extent, there, there's something that needs to be done um, by ourselves. Um, I mean, uh, the 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 commissioner says that um, uh, right now, if you go to Phoenix, um, um, it's it's a it's a uh, it's it's normal. People are. Are, are going on their daily basis doing work. Um, but um, the fact of the matter is that the people in Inanda and others are providing uh, employment to Phoenix, um, whether in the form of domestic worker and, and, and so forth. Um, and that relationship will always remain if we do not develop the areas where other people live so that they also feel that they are part of this, this government. But for as long as you develop one area and you leave the other, the other area will always, uh, people who are living in the other area will always feel superior to the other area. So that is the, 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 the kind of situation that we are facing in this country. For as long as that remains, the inequality in this country is there, and, and therefore people will still be feel, feel that others are not um, uh, equal to them uh, yeah. in nature. In, 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 it's a problem of, of hierarchies, right? Uh, societal hierarchies that we not only um, sort of create ourselves, but that that we go on to 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 enforce and keep in their place because of whatever benefit is derived from uh, different parts of, of, of society and, and how um, you know we benefit from these hierarchies. Uh, because it's interesting that as as we have this conversation, you know. Um, in the open line, we're reflecting on on the VIP protection officers, and and some of our listeners saying, no, you know, these these people must be given respect. So we as South Africans must move aside because these ones, their job is very very important. You know, they're protecting very very important people. So for your own peace of mind, just move aside. Don't question. Just move aside. And it's the same mentality, right, around how we perceive hierarchies in society. And the fact that these are, are man-made, they're social constructs, they can be broken down. The system can look different to what it is right now. Now I'm going to just take your contributions and then go to the phone lines. Sure. I think what you're speaking to is this idea that we want the hierarchies, you yes. know. And on the one hand, we called 1994 the moment of emancipation, but it was liberation, you know what I mean? We got formal liberation, legalities and otherwise. That structure of hierarchies, that structure of binaries of this side is livable, this side is not livable. Phoenix is livable, Inanda is not. But even, in, you know what I mean, a very stark example is the the mine dumps in Johannesburg, the Langlachter mine dumps. What they really do is they, they demarcate the end of the world. If you're sitting in the city, say, in Parktown and Parkhurst and otherwise, the world ends at the mine dumps, visually and otherwise. If you're on the other side, you're in the underworld, you know, in the township, in this spaceless place called the location you know what i mean in that way and those are some of those conditions and so what it really inspires and motivates you to do is to co-opt the logic of apartheid in your own name so you don't want public well you know you want public services but they can't come they, they're not going to come so you get private ones private schooling private 
you know what I mean, private estates where you have to have access cards and whatnot, and, you know, private hospitals, private, you know what I mean, even in these increasingly private electricity, you know. And so these divides are only growing because we're buying on, we're buying into them. We're supporting them, we're saying, I hated apartheid when it was against me. But if I can reproduce apartheid in my own name, well, then that's lovely. Let me go then live in this gated community, private schools and otherwise. So we, re we reproduce the hierarchies. Mm. And we don't see it that way. We don't see it as reproducing mm -hmm. um, that, that apartheid because we see apartheid merely as being merely as being race, but we don't sort of interrogate the systemic division that it created in, in this country across racial geographic lines. All right. Bhutan and Rosebank, good morning. Morning, Jersey. Yes, that you know, that, that uh, riot must be framed properly. Mm. That happened in July. Mm. That deadly riot was organized by ANC people. It has nothing to do with the apartheid. It has nothing to do with people that are, are living in poverty. The ANC people were unhappy when Jacob Zuma was jailed. That is how he should frame me. Those poor people are still poor and bad. Nothing has changed. They are still in, in, in the ANC government, uh, uh, municipalities, and in, 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 in the province. The entire uh, plant there has been has, has been has been destroyed, and the employment of the people have been destroyed there. Not only the entire uh, uh, plant. So 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 Butana, Butana, to to frame it to frame it as ANC organized protests, then also suggests that all of the people that participated in the protests were ANC members and were doing so to support a cause and at the time the cause against the arrest of the former president Jacob Zuma. Now, when we look at what people have had to say, even those that participated in the looting Bhutana, I don't know that we can say that for every single one of 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 of, of those that participated in the looting. Chelsea, the the, the, the riot was orchestrated by ANC. Mm -hmm. It was loved by ANC people. And the people will just follow. Because they are poor. They want food. They want anything that they can grab. If it was not the ANC people, that's why it wouldn't have happened. Okay. Butana, that, that's one view. Uh, Butana out, out in Rosebank, at least, is offering an explanation for part of how we can understand the protest. I'll get uh, the views from our guests in a moment. Joe in Durban, good morning. Good morning, Katie, and good morning to your listeners. You know, uh, for me, it's not an academic uh, discussion anymore. You, I look at it as um, a black man uh, myself, and black people are victims of uh, these crimes all over the world. Now we are talking of the one in France that happened recently. A black young man, 17 years old, you know, probably with... Um, bright prospect of his future in the front, but he was um, cut short. You, the biggest problem, how do we allow ourselves as black people to be played like chess pieces on a board? You know, we all know where the problem stems from, you know, because we have been put in certain classes where we look at one another with suspicion. We can kill one another for us. as simple as having a document. Like here in South Africa, I mean, we will get people who get killed because you are a black person and you are an immigrant. Yet we've got Chinese immigrants, we've got white immigrants, we've got everybody. I want to tell you what is the problem of today. How do you 
stay around a person um who give oh joe joe it looks like we've lost joe there Joe, I'm so sorry that that we've lost you. Unfortunately, the the line just disconnected, and you, and you're just getting sort of into the heart of of the point you wanted to make. Solomon in Mkanyagude, good morning. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to your to your listeners. Mm. Yeah, this is a very important debate you are having uh, this uh, this morning, <coughs> looking at the fact that that led to the July unrest and uh, and uh, and the results thereof post the incident. And one cannot uh, not mention that government at that stage was overwhelmed uh, by the unrest, as it were, uh, which means we are sitting with a potential danger when there could be a properly coordinated civil unrest. Our government or state can collapse. But it is good that we are looking at this thing because I want to separate it into two. Government has got a responsibility to deal with unlawful actions and breaking of the law or criminal activity uh, because the constitutional mandate. And uh, that is why uh, I regard that as dealing with symptoms which are leading to our jails being overflowed and overpopulated. But your debate seeks at the same time to deal with factors underpinning uh, the socio-economic conditions that we see, which is a very important debate that much as government is dealing with what I regard as symptoms, we still have got to pay attention to say, how do we re-engineer the social arrangement that we have? We cannot deny the fact that there are areas which are high concentrated in terms of development and opportunities. And that is why people from poor communities flock to those areas. And the people who live in those areas which are affluent, they are intolerant of these people coming to their areas to seek for opportunities. What does it mean? We have got a not equitable society. So in such a case where you don't have equity of opportunities and everything, you will have all these kind of crimes, social ills, which continue to manifest themselves. So unless we put programs and be consistent in dealing with these issues. Actually, we are, we, are, we are skating on a thin ice. You don't have a state. It can go up in flames anytime. All right, Solomon, I'm going to have to st- stop you there uh, out in Mkanyagude. Thanks for that view. Lawrence in Durban, good morning. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Lawrence. And, and good morning to the listeners. I've been listening to the views and, and opinions of the listeners. Um, in terms of uh, the unrest, and it could, have, it could it could have been avoided by the state. Talking about that, uh, remember when when Marikana happened, uh, the law enforcement was deployed and people died. And what happened with the unrest? I'm here in Durban. I stay in Morningside, and all of the roads, Umgeni and the other, other roads, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much closer to them. And I've seen, and nobody, no police was, was deployed, no law enforcement was, was deployed whatsoever. So it necessarily means, I like what uh, Tapelo said about <coughs> the, 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 the people being, 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 being uh, the poor people being, being subdued.
rejected as as criminals. So now you you get you you get areas like Phoenix, you get areas like Morningside, you get areas like you you know your 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 your, your areas that where 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 most fortunate people live. And it's so unfortunate for for I I, I don't condone uh, uh, racism and all that, but it 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 it, it it's been it, it it's been a problem in in South Africa. It's been a big problem. We can't deal with it, and 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 it is it has resulted to 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 factors like you see in Phoenix, most of the people that that live close to Phoenix and shacks and all that, they are the ones that that works in Phoenix domestic works and they work in shops and all that. Now, Tapiro was speaking also about the relationship between the two, but it, it seems like black people are the one that suffers mostly because of because of the, this thing has been going on for ages and ages. All so right. my, my plea to the state or the government let's deal with these issues and, 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 and not subject poor people because now it seems like poor people are the are the problem in in South Africa. Mm, mm, yet, mm. yet, yet there's there's o- organized crime syndicates in big areas. You get in Umshanga, Sentin, and all that those areas. You you get you now recently, most drug dealers were found in 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 in, in high areas. You 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 you, you see, Kathy. All right, Lawrence. So now, Yes. Yes, I'm going to ask you Thank to you to to leave it there for this morning. Uh, thanks for for that contribution, and and I love how you put it that part of what then we see as an end result is that it looks like poor people are the problem in this country, and I think that's something that we all need to really reflect deeply on. Uh, to our guests, I've got a minute left for each of you just to respond to our listeners um, and and also give your concluding remarks before we head to news. Uh, Pilile, let me come to you first. Yes, thank you very much, Kathy. Perhaps I will touch on this notion of complicity that yourself and Leo were speaking to before we took on the corners. And I want to also just introduce to that discussion this idea that capitalist exploitation and racial domination, that relationship that comes together depends on the desire even of victims to participate in the capitalist exploitation and the capitalist accumulation. And I think Nero spoke to it when he made the example of how we want to live in the gated communities. We want to be close to the proximity of those who are at the top of the hierarchy, which is whiteness. And the manner in which that happens is a, is a matter of social conditioning and the psyche of, of, um, of the post-colony and, uh, and the manner in which it affects all of us. Thank you. All right. Thanks for that. Tapelo? Yes. No, thank, thank you very much, uh, Cathy. Um, uh, one of the things that we, when we speak about the, the, the divides that we have in our, com- in, in our communities was that when, after the riot, we reached out to some of the people in Phoenix and elsewhere to understand what exactly had happened. And when many of them were surprised how black people were, who were living in former settlement, how poor, how poor they were. So you find that people are segregated to such an extent that they don't understand what the other side go through on a daily basis. 
which is uh, completely wrong. And I think we we need to define social cohesion in a different way and where we are going to be honest about it and be open about it. Um, and I think we should not sugarcoat some of the things that are taking place. Uh, what happened in Phoenix was racial. Uh, it shows the vast of inequality in this country for as long as we don't deal with that, we are still going to have another un unrest taking place in this country. Uh, people are hungry, people are angry, people are frustrated. And out of that, uh, people's anger can go in many directions. And I think in response to that, civil society, government, and all of us should work together uh, in trying to find a solution out of right. this. Uh, it that the apartheid, um, the, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and other commissions prior to that have not dealt with the, um, the these problems in, in, in the past. All right, Tapelo, thanks for that. Neo, I'll give you the last word on this very briefly. Very briefly. Um, I think the question around framing was important. It really shows our difficulty in sense-making of this moment. We've referred to it as the riots, the food riots, the Zuma riots, the unrest, the insurrection, the public violence. We're struggling to name it, and it's a condition of our country moreover. And this is why that we've entered into this this partnership with the Human Rights Commission to produce this podcast. It's called Wapupa Umhlaba, and it will be available from Saturday the 8th of July on all podcast streaming um, platforms. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you all uh, for coming on to the show and being part of this conversation and really uh, causing us to look a little bit deeper than perhaps what are some of the easy answers to understanding um, the unrest and really saying there's, there's a lot more under the surface that we need to be ta paying attention to if we are to learn all of the lessons we can take out of that moment in our very recent history. It's time for the latest news.